Oh, I never know what Pastor Darius is going to say. Uh, it's always an adventure. But uh, good morning and welcome to Second Service uh, here at MRCC. And welcome to everybody online, whether you're at home or in a hotel room or in your car or wherever you are. We're just thrilled that we can uh, all be together. And one of the things that we can do when we're all together is pray. You know, the Bible calls us, church, a royal priesthood. Uh, that is, we carry out a very important ministry in our land and in our nation, and that is to intercede, to pray. So can I ask you, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray together for our, our country, for our world, for our community. Father, we come to you this morning recognizing that you're the answer to our afflictions, Lord, that you are our healer, that you are the one who restores not only our body, but our soul, our spirit, our hearts and minds. And, and we come to you this morning, Lord, praying that you would heal our land, heal our world of this virus, God, that you would wash away not only the virus, but the fear of the virus, God. We pray that you would deliver us from it. We cry out to you this morning as your church. We pray on behalf of our land, knowing that when we come with a, a spirit of repentance, you hear us every time. So God, we confess our sins as a nation, as a society, as individuals, and we pray for healing of every kind. Lord, we, we pray especially this morning, God, for, for those of us who are struggling with jobs or businesses, Lord, that in this season there is so much to be afraid of. Help us to remember that when we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, you have promised to provide for us. Thank you, God, that that this season is passing, or the news about vaccines and stuff, it just lifts our heart. It gives us hope that sooner rather than later, we'll be able to put this season behind us. And, and God, we thank you that when that day comes, when we're telling our grandkids about 2020, Lord, thank you that we'll be able to say you were faithful, that you saw us through, that you enabled us to overcome. We ask your blessing this morning as we open your word together. Help us to hear your Holy Spirit, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I have been uh, really looking forward, friends, to this morning as we kind of really turn the corner into the Christmas season because of what I want to share with you this morning. So Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 19. And, and let me begin by asking you, have you ever, I know you have, have you ever lost something that you were really desperate to find again? You know, maybe it was your phone, or maybe it was your keys, or maybe it was your glasses. You know, we lose stuff all the time I, I, because I'm kind of absent-minded, kind of single-minded. Maybe I do it more than other people, but I've been in that situation many times where I'm like, i got to find this thing. Where did it go? This week, I was running errands around town, and um, part of one of my errands was I stopped in to, uh, to get my flu shot. My wife has been on me about that, so I finally got that done. And, and when I went in, I took off my glasses, and it wasn't until I drove away that I realized I didn't have my glasses, right? So I'm like driving down the road, and I thought, oh, where do my, I don't have my glasses. I must have left them there. So, you know, I drive back, and I go in. I say, hey, guys, I, I left my glasses here, and they're not there. And the lady helps me look, and I'm all puzzled. And so I, you know, you retrace your steps. Who have all done this before, you know? Go back to the Chevron station. Hey, did, did anybody turn in some glasses? Did you see them? It was the fourth business that I got to, kind of retracing my steps, 
when I realized my glasses were hanging from my collar around my neck, I had just, you know, kind of stuck them there. But we all know that feeling uh, of desperate to find something. And then kind of the relief that washes over us when we find something. God wants to talk to us about that feeling this morning. Um, you know, looking for something that you lost can be funny. Mine ultimately was the other day. I, I was searching online and I came across some, some cute lost and found posters that people have tacked up. And I thought I'd share a couple of those with you. For example, this one right here. Have you seen this dog? You know, I thought... That, that's how you get somebody's attention, right? <laughs> you know, that you're looking for your lost dog. Uh, you know, or how about this one? Uh, cat found, <laughs> black with white patches, aggressive, house trained, no collar or name tag. Yeah, there's a reason for that. <laughs> you know, obviously not a cat. Or how about this one? Somebody lost Dexter, missing Dexter. <laughs> He's a hair model, in case you were wondering. And uh, they've got to get him back at the salon there. Uh, somebody obviously had a sense of humor on this one. Lost dog named Gertrude, you know, last seen chasing cars on Techwood Drive. We have staff members here at the church that that reminds me of. Uh, how about this one? I like this one. Found dog, not lost dog. Found dog. Now we're bros, so he's staying. Don't call, don't make it weird. <laughs> you know, I got a kick out of that one. Or how about this one? Let's get Klaus back to his owner. He needs his medication, uh, you know. That's the kind of dog you really want to find. But, you know, looking for what's lost can be funny, but it can also be so serious when what's lost is so personally important to us. On December 5th, 1998, eight-year-old Derek Engebretson and his dad, Robert, and his grandpa, Bob, went looking for a Christmas tree to cut down near Rocky Point, Oregon, down by Klamath Falls. Little Derek had grown up going into the woods with Dad and Grandpa. And this day started out to be one of those memories that we treasure, one of those family memories, three generations going to get the Christmas tree and, and bring it home. And because of their experience together in the woods, Dad and Grandpa weren't worried when for a couple of minutes Derek disappeared as he tromped off into the forest. It's what boys do. But when about 15 minutes passed and he didn't return, they began to, to call out for him. They began to search for him and, and they couldn't find him. After about a half hour, it became obvious that Something serious and potentially tragic was happening. And so they called the police. They let them know, we've got a missing boy. And dad and grandpa and all the resources of Klamath County, Oregon, rushed into the forest, straining to find Derek. All that day, all that night, all the next day, all the next night, they combed the forest looking for little Derek. And I'm, I'm sad to tell you that Derek was never found. And you're saying, Pastor Greg, why are you telling me this story this morning? Well, because when that story came out and I read it in the newspaper, there was a picture that came with the article. And the picture was of Derek's dad, Robert, Robert. 
after two sleepless days and two sleepless nights, continually, without stopping, searching for his son, a reporter snapped this picture of dad. And when I saw it for the first time, it burned itself into my memory. I've kept that picture ever since. Here's why. Because when we look at that picture, every one of us who is a parent or a grandparent can feel what he's feeling. And we know that we would be him, that we would look like that, that we would feel like that, that we would search that desperately if it were our daughter or our son. And that picture serves to remind me that this is what Christmas is about. A father God seeking lost sons and daughters. And I keep that picture because it shows me what our God feels for lost sons and daughters in a dangerous, dark, cold, and broken world. This picture helps me understand what God feels for all the lost sons and daughters he is seeking. And as we turn the corner into Christmas, let us remember that Christmas is about a father God seeking lost kids. And we can see that in this moment in Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. Let's watch Jesus living out the Father's heart and let God speak to us as we turn the corner into Christmas. The Bible says this, Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. That, that's not an insignificant detail. We're going to come back and touch on it in a moment. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Jesus was coming by that tree. Now, let me pause for a moment. And this story has become something that we only think of in terms of children's church my wife, who's teaching children's church right now, has taught this lesson so many times. And, and when we're kids, we focus on the fact that Zacchaeus was short, and so he climbed a tree, but Jesus saw him. Anyway, we make it about his shortness, which is okay for kids. But the story was lived by adults, and it's about much more than kid stuff. And let's watch closely what happens here because it has immense significance. Notice, first of all, that this, this man, Zacchaeus, he's identified as a chief tax collector. In other words, this is a real bad guy, a serious bad guy. We have talked before about the reality of tax collectors in first century Israel. What they were was traitorous collaborators. A foreign army was occupying Israel and the army would contract with local people willing to betray their neighbors. And the army would empower those people with literal muscle if need be so that they could collect taxes both legally and illegally. Taxes paid to a foreign occupying army and 
And Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. He's right at the top of that wicked enterprise. Imagine how you would feel about him if he was doing this kind of thing in your community. You know, if we just get a little crazy for a moment, maybe China comes and occupies the United States and, and, and two doors down from you, one of your neighbors becomes a public collaborator with them, reporting on you and your kids and your family, and then participating in the seizure of your property and your wealth. Imagine how you would feel about them. Well, that's, that's who Zacchaeus is. He's a real bad guy. And that extortion racket that he was a part of, that often involved violence. That's who this Zacchaeus fellow is. Ask yourself how you would feel about him. And then as you do, ask yourself this. Would you ever imagine that such a man would be curious about Jesus? You see, here's what Hollywood has done to us. Hollywood has clubbed us into believing that all villains are one-dimensional, that they're just bad guys with black hearts, and that way it feels okay when we blow them up or run them over or defeat them in some power encounter. But the reality is that bad guys are people just like you and just like me. And that bad guys are even sometimes, maybe often, curious about Jesus. Think that through for a moment. I, I have been deeply impressed by a, a book I read about a decade ago, Dr. Tom Rainer's book, The Unchurched Next Door, in which he simply surveyed tens of thousands of people across our country, uh, using thousands of college students to help him do that. And, and he asked him just simple questions about faith. And what he discovered was that 73% of Americans, so three out of four of your neighbors, say, yeah, I, I'd love to go to church sometime. But I, I, I'd like to do that accompanied by somebody I know. <laughs> I just don't want to kind of drop out of the sky because I don't know what's going to happen there. and It's weird. And, but... Three out of four people say, you know, if somebody I know invited me, yeah, I'd like to check that out. Now, to many of us, that comes as a surprise. It shouldn't. It's always been the case. It was the case in this moment. And Jesus knows it. The only people who don't want to know more about Jesus, the only people who really aren't curious about him are the ones who already think they know everything. But the rest of the world is curious about him. Now, Zacchaeus seems like an unlikely candidate for faith. When you look at his life from the outside, his choices, his lifestyle, the crowd he ran with, you would say to yourself, well, he, he, he's not interested. And we'd be wrong. Because in fact, this man, with his background and his nature, despite his lifestyle, despite his failures, despite his choices... He's still seeking to know more about this man, Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, who are the people you're sure aren't seeking? You may be wrong. Lots of people 
were wrong about Zacchaeus. I remember when I was a young man in the military, and I think God laughs to this day because my dog tags were stamped atheist. And I would be the first person to argue with you if you confessed your faith or talked about being a Christian or talked about God. I'd just be all up in your face. You're so stupid. You're so dumb. If you knew the facts, you wouldn't be there. But the truth of the matter is, even then, I was seeking. And, and many people would have considered me to be far from a candidate for the faith. And look how that turned out. Jesus knows this. And so, look at verse 5. When Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, don't miss what's happening here. Jesus hasn't called him to repent. Jesus hasn't pointed out his errors. Jesus hasn't engaged in an argument with him over whether he should be collaborating with the Romans or not. He's just noticed him and his curiosity. And he's invited himself to his house. In other words, church, don't miss this. Jesus completely overlooks this man's lifestyle in this moment. He looks right past it. He knows that faith doesn't usually begin with changed behaviors or even a changed mind, but it begins with curiosity. It begins with interest. It begins with seeking. Over in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus put it this way, everyone who seeks finds, he who seeks finds. Jesus knows this. And so when he sees Zacchaeus, he immediately responds to him. And don't miss the significance of how he responds. Jesus' desire to stay at your house today is scandalous. To go have dinner at the home of a traitorous collaborator, a known criminal, even a man involved in violence, not to mention theft. But Jesus says, I want to come to your house today, Zacchaeus. It's a scandalous moment. Jesus' audience in this moment would have been angered, outraged, or at the very least confused. Jesus, him? With his crowd? His house? Really? I thought we weren't about that. Once again, I think back to when I was a young man, and, and my uncle from a distance saw my curiosity. So he sent me a little book about Jesus. He said, Greg, while you're exploring what's real and what's true in the world, be sure you give Jesus equal time. And I sat down and read that book in May of 1985 and outside of Belfair, Washington, and that was the day that I became a Christian. What did Paul see? Did he see my righteous lifestyle? No, I can assure you he did not. What he saw was my curiosity. What he saw was my interest. The same thing that Jesus saw in Zacchaeus. Let me ask you something, friends. Do you believe that your Savior wants to go to the home of your enemies and have dinner with them? The real one does. Jesus is demonstrating exactly that in this moment. 
Mike Silva tells a beautiful little story about staying at a house in Nigeria. His family was a missionary family. They were moving from one place to another, and they stayed in this house for a couple of days in the process of that transition. And suddenly, in the middle of the day, there was an unexpected knock at the door. And he opened it to find a a smiling, well-dressed, older gentleman with cleaning supplies. And the man said, well, I've come to clean your home. And Mike was embarrassed because they didn't know this man was coming and the place was a disaster. It was was midweek with your family on vacation. There's food wrappers everywhere, wet towels, dirty clothes, junk piled in the corners, stuff thrown all over the place. And he felt terrible. And so he said to the man, I'm sorry, he said, "We we didn't know you were coming, so we weren't ready for you. The house isn't cleaned up for you to clean. I think of my wife for sometimes uh, a couple of times we've had a woman come in once a month and do a little house cleaning. It always made me laugh that Rhonda had to clean the house before the house cleaner came. <laughs> well, this guy's feeling that. And he said, oh, we're not ready. I'm sorry. And he writes that the man with a big smile said, no problem, sir. I have come for your mess. That's why I'm here. I have come for your mess. Jesus comes for our messes. Jesus isn't coming to Zacchaeus to make a judgment on his lifestyle. That's already been made. He's come for his mess. And when he sees Zacchaeus' interest, he invites himself into his life. His invitation to Zacchaeus, please note, friends, it comes before any reform or repentance on Zacchaeus' part. It comes before that. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, are you going to stop doing what you're doing? Okay, then let me come to your house. He says, no, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house now. And so the scripture says in verse 6, he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. In other words, Zacchaeus opened his life to God. In this moment. Somebody has said they won't care what you say until they know you care. Zacchaeus now knows that he's interested in Jesus, but Jesus is also interested in him. Who have you helped discover that Jesus is interested in them? Zacchaeus discovers this. Again, he still hasn't reformed, repented, changed his lifestyle, but Jesus is going to his house. In that culture, to fellowship with someone in that intimate way, Scandalous when that someone was a Zacchaeus. But Jesus knows that the gospel is God offering grace to people who don't deserve it. Which is why the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Don't miss what's happening here. Jesus is missing a man where he is, meeting a man where he is, not where he should be. Just like he did for me just like he did for you. All of us have people, several people, who who helped us come to faith. And Jesus is doing that for Zacchaeus. And the question we must ask ourselves as we watch him do this is, who are we being those same people too? Who are we helping to come to faith? You know, Jesus understands something about Zacchaeus that we forget. The U.S. Coast Guard has put out a manual on drowning, and in it they talk to lifesavers about how to rescue people from drowning. And there are four principles 
in the Coast Guard's materials that every lifesaver must memorize and understand in order to earn the credentials. The first thing you have to understand is that a drowning person can't call for help. You have to watch for drowning people. They can't cry out on their own. Why? They're drowning. They keep going under the water. They don't have enough air. That's why they're struggling. Second, that they can't wave for help. <laughs> they can't indicate to you that they need help because they're too busy trying to stay above water. So you have to watch out for them. The third principle is that they can't follow instructions. It does no good to give them instructions. <laughs> In fact, the manual talks about the fact that, that there is an autonomic nervous system reaction to drowning called the instinctive drowning response that's involuntary, unlearned, and unavoidable. In other words, that person has lost control of themselves. So they can't follow instructions. And then the fourth thing is they can't swim to safety. They need to be rescued. And the whole point of the material is to recognize that a drowning person needs you to meet them where they are. So that you Jesus knows that about Zacchaeus. Now, interestingly, this story goes on to tell us that some good people reacted badly to this moment. Look at verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now we can understand why, but Lord, help us recognize how mistaken they are and how sad their response is. Why did they react like this? Well, there's really two reasons. The first one is that they thought highly of themselves. They thought of themselves as the good guys in their circumstance, in their situation, in their culture, in their society, in their politics. They thought of themselves as the good guys. And the other side is the bad guys. And the other thing was that they completely misunderstood their Savior. They thought that Messiah would come to affirm the good guys, not to rescue the bad guys. And so when they saw Jesus doing that, they muttered. Have you ever been misunderstood? Jesus is being misunderstood in this moment. Here's the truth of what's happening here, friends. Grasp this. First of all, understand, Jesus' engagement with Zacchaeus is not an affirmation of his lifestyle. He's not saying, hey, tax collectors, good guys. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, no. He's got a completely different agenda. But so often we say to ourselves, well, if you're hanging out with them, you must be on their side. Stop it. Jesus knows better than that. He's going to Zacchaeus' house not as an affirmation of Zacchaeus' lifestyle, but because he knows what will lead him out of that lifestyle. You know, whenever I, I see this moment, my mind goes back to a young man when we pastored in Moscow, Idaho, years ago, Ron and I. And, and, and the church that we were part of was about two-thirds to three-quarters college students. And it was, was kind of like a glorified youth group is what it was. And, and there was such energy in their young faith. I always remember one young man who came to me and he said, Pastor Greg, I've been praying and, and I believe that God is calling me to join the Gay Lesbian Alliance Club at the University of Idaho. I said, oh, <laughs> really? He said, yeah, I believe God wants me to make friends with them so that I can lead some of them to Jesus. He says, I, I want you to pray with me until the day when you see me start bringing them to church. I said, you go, man. Rock on. And he did. 
And he did. In the morning when he brought someone for the first time, our eyes locked across the room and we grinned. Because that's what Jesus does. That's who Jesus is. That's what he's about. Jesus' engagement with Zacchaeus isn't an affirmation of Zacchaeus' lifestyle. Second, Jesus knows that Zacchaeus is more than his current lifestyle. He's a human being made in the image of God, beloved by God, sought after by a father in the same way that Robert Engelbretson sought after his son Derek. God is seeking them. God is seeking Zacchaeus. And so Jesus sees him and he says, oh yeah, let's connect Let's connect. There will always be muttering when anybody gets serious about making friends with people who are different. And the sad thing is that if we want to grow wise in our faith, we will recognize that it wasn't a secular, atheist, foreign crowd that arranged Jesus' murder. It was a devoutly religious crowd who thought that they were doing God's will. Wow. I call that syndrome God-sick. It's when we become so wound up about our religion that we forget our God. Jesus is reaching Zacchaeus where he is. And the beautiful thing, gang, the beautiful thing is, look at verse 8 that this patient friendship Jesus builds with Zacchaeus eventually produces what the Pharisees and the devoutly religious never could. All their lives they had pointed out that his lifestyle was wrong and never changed it. Jesus makes friends with him, goes to his house for dinner, and the scripture says, verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Wow. What they couldn't accomplish by shouting him down was accomplished by Jesus in a moment, in a day of friendship, as he recognized the man's curiosity, treated him like a human being, connected with him in a real way. And then allowed the Holy Spirit of God to do his beautiful work. It's the same way God wants to work in our lives. It's what Christmas is about. Notice that in this moment, Zacchaeus isn't merely being obedient. He's not just following the rules. He's doing much more than that. He wants to make things right. He wants to change his life. He is choosing to be a different man. Because Jesus met him where he was. In his curiosity. Church, we must understand that when we do things like that, the Holy Spirit of God uses us in ways far beyond our knowing. He uses us because we're not alone in this. I'll always remember again when I was stationed in Iceland and in the service and tooting my atheist horn and a young man was assigned to cleaning the bathroom with me and we spent half the day doing that, me blasting my profound, obscene music. About halfway through it, he says, hey, I got a tape. Can I put that in your player? And... Some of you are wondering what a tape is. I'll get back to you on that. But anyway, he put it in there, and he turned it on, and it was rock and roll. He said, do you like that? I said, yeah. He says, well, it's yours. I'll just give it to you. He knew exactly what he was doing because it was Christian rock and roll. I went back to my room that night, and I wow, this is different. And I started reading the liners, notes, the lyrics of the song. What is this? And I get more curious, and I start buying more. Ooh, look, what is this? 
Yeah. See, when we make those connections with people, God uses us. Christmas is about God building bridges to people you wouldn't suspect are interested. If we want to be like him, we'll do the same thing. When we understand what Jesus is doing here, then we understand who he is and what it means to follow him. Please understand, church, that that we aspire, we're almost done this morning, to be bridge builders like Jesus for the same reasons that Robert Engebrenson went searching for his son because we know there is a great, real, deep, and dark danger because we know that people separated from God are in unbelievable danger. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul speaking, he says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We know there's a real danger. We try to persuade men. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. So from now on, and this is so important, from now on, hear God in this, friends. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We don't put them in the categories and the labels that our culture does. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. We see them as souls, as sons, as daughters, as lost sons and daughters that God is desperately seeking. We regard no one from a worldly point of view because God gave us, you and me, the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed that message to us. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Wow. When we stay in touch with that, everything looks different. Everything looks different. More importantly, everyone looks different. It's easy to look at Zacchaeus and go, he's not interested, he's already chosen his side, he's on the wrong side. He's a wicked man. Let's look for an opportunity. In those days, the zealots were looking for opportunities to ambush the tax collectors. How soon can we kill them? How many can we kill? After all, that's what God wants. He's on the side of the righteous. Jesus comes and says, God doesn't want to kill your enemies. He wants to turn them into your friends. He wants to seek and to save the lost. We know what it is to fear them. Look, look at what Jesus says at the end of the story, verses 9 and 10. It's beautiful. He says, today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Praise God. Hallelujah. That's who he is. That's what he does. So we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Let, let me ask you this morning, who are you tempted to regard as someone who would never be interested in Jesus? Have you considered the fact you may be completely wrong? I'm so thankful that some people looked at me when I was a young man and said, I think there's more to him than what he's saying. I think there's more to him than what he's doing. I still can't wait till when we get home to heaven and I meet those guys and we laugh together. I always remember Bob Rose saying, I mean, you're so full of it. Because he saw past what I was doing and saying. He became a powerful witness in my life. Yeah. Let me finish this morning with a story and then let's pray together. 
Rosalind W. Picard, no relation, by the way, to the folks on the screen, is the founder in the real world, the founder and director of the Affective Research Group at MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. This is a picture of, of her. Once upon a time, she was convinced she didn't need God or religion, and she was an avowed public atheist who dismissed all believers as uneducated simpletons. But among the people around her were a few people who she said, in her own words, contradicted her expectations enough that she decided eventually to, to read this Bible of theirs for herself. And she wrote, When I first opened it, I expected phony stories and assorted gobbledygook easily disproved and dismissed. But that's not what I found. She said, The book of Proverbs in particular made me stop and really think. She says, I read through it two times, increasingly feeling this strange sense that I was being spoken to. Part of me was irritated and insisted that I'd be happier if I just moved on. But another part of me was getting more and more interested, more and more curious. So much so that when a friend noticed her changed demeanor, her curiosity, she invited her to church and she accepted. And the pastor, who was no one special on that first morning, asked her to ask herself, who is the Lord of your life? And that started a journey for Rosalind, a journey that ultimately led a few months later to her praying and asking Jesus to be her Lord. In her own words, after that, my world started changing dramatically I lost none of my urge to seek knowledge. In fact, I felt encouraged to ask even harder questions about life, the universe, and everything because Jesus wants me to. Today, she writes, I know there is a God of unfathomable greatness and love who freely enters into relationship with anyone who seeks him. I used to think I was too smart to believe in God. Now I know I was an arrogant fool who snubbed the greatest mind in the universe, the author of all science, all math, all art, and everything everything else. Now I live with joy because he met me where I was. Yeah. Yeah. Christmas is about God meeting people where they are. And we, we follow him when we notice the curiosity of those around us and begin to invite ourselves into their lives to make friendships that the Holy Spirit uses to speak life to them. Who is it that you've decided just isn't interested and so you've said, they're not going to be? Jesus invites you to think again, to pay attention with your spirit to what you're seeing. Matter of fact, as we close, let me invite you to do something simple with me, please. Would you, would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? And, and would you simply... Ask your Father God to bring to your mind a lost son or daughter in your world. Maybe it's somebody you work with. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's someone in your neighborhood. Somebody you go to school with. Would you ask him to bring to mind that son or daughter that he's seeking? And then would you ask him if there's anything you can do to help him find them? Would you be willing right here and now to pray for that person? 
understanding how desperately God is seeking them, would you be willing to pray for them right now? Father God, we thank you for who you are. Jesus, we thank you for the, the way you, you saw Zacchaeus' curiosity and stepped right into it. We thank you for the love that was in your heart when you invited yourself to his house. We thank you for the wonderful story of how that utterly changed his heart and how he chose to follow you, something that, that seemed impossible until you stepped into the moment. And God, we pray that you would make us like you, <laughs> that you would send us out into these holidays, into this life, watching for Zacchaeus. We ask you to help us in that way. And we pray it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? In this story, we see our Savior clear as a bell. We see his heart clear as a bell. We please him when we join him. Now may the love of God the Father the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit. Go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone that you love them. Merry Christmas. Have a great afternoon.